We have two scripture passages tonight. Uh, the first is Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And the second is Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 11. Starting the reading with Genesis, can be found in your Pew Bible on page 3. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, And no plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God, had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the ground or the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. 
So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat. And live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Turning now to Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 11. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit and have their minds set on, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're going to be looking at Belgic Confession, Article 14. It can be found on the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 75. The creation and fall of man and his incapacity to perform what is truly good. We believe that God created man out of the dust of the earth and made and formed him after his own image and likeness, good, righteous, and holy, capable in all things to will agreeably to the will of God. But being in honor, he understood it not, neither knew his excellency, but willfully subjected himself to sin and consequently to death and the curse, giving ear to the words of the devil. For the commandment of life which he had received, he transgressed, and by sin separated himself from God, who was his true life, having corrupted his whole nature, whereby he made himself liable to corporal and spiritual death, 
And being thus become wicked, perverse, and corrupt in all his ways, he has lost all his excellent gifts, which he had received from God, and retained only small remains thereof, which, however, are sufficient to leave man without excuse. For all the light which is in us is, char- is changed into darkness, as the Scriptures teach us, saying, The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness apprehended it not, where St. John calls men darkness. Therefore we reject all that is taught repugnant to this concerning the free will of man, since man is but a slave to sin and can receive nothing except it have been given for him from heaven. For who may presume to boast that he of himself can do any good, since Christ says, No man can come to me except the Father that sent me draw him. Who will glory in his own will, who understands that the mind of the flesh is enmity against God? Who can speak of his knowledge, since the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God? In short, who dares suggest any thought, since he knows that we are not sufficient of ourselves to account anything as of ourselves, but that our sufficiency is of God? And therefore, what the Apostle says ought justly to be held sure and firm, that God worketh in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For there is no understanding nor will conformable to the divine understanding and will, but what Christ has wrought. Divine understanding and will, but what Christ has wrought in man, which he teaches us when he says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. That is Article 15 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. Now, I had some interesting study this week because I was thinking about what does it mean, original sin? What does it mean that we have become fallen in our nature? And I did some research on the, the legends behind zombies. Because, I mean, that's what zombies are. They are undead creatures, humans. They're alive, but they're not really alive. And as far as I could tell, um, the ancient Greeks may have been the first civilization to be terrorized by a fear of the undead. And some archaeologists, they have gone and unearthed many ancient graves which contained skeletons that were pinned down by rocks and heavy objects. And if someone's dead and buried in the ground, why do they need rocks and heavy objects placed on top of them? Well, presumably to prevent them from reanimating and climbing out of their graves and terrorizing the town like zombies. And the reality is that this article, Article 15, about original sin is the story about how our first parents were in this state of grace. They were made in God's image. And according to what Article 15 says, and I agree, Article 14. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm on the wrong one. I'm looking for it. Being capable in all things to will agreeably to the will of God, they fell and they became zombies. Not the brain eating kind of zombies that we see in popular TV shows today and stuff like that, but zombies in the sense that they truly died. Yet we're still living, we're still animated. And so, tonight, 
we're going to talk about how we became zombies. Our theme, we have fallen from grace But in Christ, God restores us. We start with this first point. It's pretty simple. When we read the book of Genesis, particularly the first chapter, when it comes to the creation of mankind... We read these words, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Chapter 2 is where we see God uh, creating man and then going on to create the woman from the man. The first thing that we're told about humanity is that we stand apart from all other creatures because we are made in the image of God. And so we read in Article 14, we believe that God created man out of the dust of the earth and made and formed him after his own image and likeness. Good. What's this mean? Good. Righteous. And holy. And the important phrase here in the Belgian Confession is capable in all things to will agreeably to the will of God. Now, it's hard for us to understand what this is like. Because there's never been a time where we have been capable in all things to will agreeably to the will of God. This was a circumstance unique to Adam and Eve, our first parents. They were capable to do what the will of God said. And so in the garden, when God comes to Adam and he says, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day if you eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam can hear that, can obey that. Eve can hear that and obey that perfectly. Without sin. And the next phrase, though, is, but being in honor, he understood it not. You know, he did not understand the position that he was in. And so, the image of God is a reminder to us that deep down, we're all, as human beings, worthy of dignity and respect. And this is important in our day and age because if we're ever going to get to a place where we can agree to disagree with other people who didn't vote for, who we voted for in this last election, 
or have policies that we don't agree with or convictions that we don't agree with, if we're going to look across at them and see them as a human being, not degrade them, not belittle them, not see them as something less than we are because we have the truth and we have it all figured out and we know what the right answer is, we've got to get back to this reality. Image of God means that every single human being is worthy of dignity and respect, that we were all made in the image of God. When Adam and Eve were created, it was in goodness and righteousness and holiness. This is something we all share as humanity. This is our common ground when it seems like we don't have any other common ground. When it's, it's our only common ground when they don't even believe that they're made in the image of God. But we know that they're made in the image of God. This is something we have to grasp onto again. But of course we know. It only takes two chapters of the Bible before we get to a place that's more common to our experience today, right? The fall. We have fallen from grace. We really have. So much of what's going on in our culture and society right now could be resolved if people looked at the first three chapters of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, the trajectory of humanity changed. Being in honor, Adam did not understand it, neither knew his excellency, but willfully subjected himself to sin. And consequently to death and the curse, giving ear to the words of the devil. This is important too because one, sometimes we can look at this story of Genesis 3 where the snake comes into the garden. He whispers some lies to the woman and we can think they were duped. They were, there was some trickery going on. And although that is the case when there's deception... That does not change the fact that Adam is to blame. That there is a willful subjection to sin. And consequently to death and the curse. Giving ear to the words of the devil. Romans chapter 5 speaks of this. When it talks about death through Adam, life through Christ. It says in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Through Adam, death came... To all. And death is a supernatural reality. Death is not natural. 
It's something that has invaded this creation because of Adam's choice. The wages of sin is death. He chose the sinful path in the garden. He fell from grace. And now we experience the supernatural reality of death, of decomposition, of decaying, of becoming more like zombies. For the commandment of life which he had received, he transgressed. And by sin separated himself from God who was his true life, having corrupted his whole nature. When the Belgic Confession says commandment of life, it's talking about God's command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it calls it a commandment of life because the understanding is that if Adam had not eaten from that tree, that there was something greater than his state of existence that he could grasp onto, that there was a promise of more fulfilled life, a promise of more intimate communion with God, a promise of entering into a state of glorification where Adam could then not fall from grace. It's a commandment of life because keeping that commandment meant life eternal. Not a continuation of the state that Adam and is, but a progression towards something greater. He received it from God, and he transgressed. And by sin, separated himself from God, who was his true life. If you want to know what true life is, it's God. God is true life. So many people in our day and age are seeking life in all the wrong places. They want what this world has to offer. And they're missing out on the one who created this world. Who gives life to this world, sustains this world gives to this world all that it has in abundance, God is true life. And so to be cut off from him is to lose life. That's what death really means. That's what it means to be a zombie. It means to be disconnected from the source of life, separated from God. And there's a result that comes from the fall. It's not just that it happened. It's that it affected us. And so, our third point is fallen nature. What is our nature now that we have fallen? I began with the first point, image of God, right? Is that something that we've lost because we've fallen from grace? Here in the Belgian Confession, it says, 
there's a corruption of the whole nature. When it says corruption of whole nature, it's the same thing that we're saying when we look at the canons of Dort and we say total depravity. Now, a reminder to you, total depravity does not mean that we are as sinful as we could be. It means that every part of us, the whole part of us, our brain, our thoughts, our heart, our you name it, is affected by sin. There's not a part of us that has escaped the effect of sin. Our entirety has been infected by this virus, the virus of sin. And that's why in Romans chapter 8, we're told this is what the fallen nature is like. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature, that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What is the sinful nature? What is the mind of the sinful nature? The mind of sinful man, or the mind that is set on the flesh, is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the flesh, those controlled by the sinful nature, cannot please God. So the mind, which is affected by the fall, cannot obey God. Carrie, I thought you just said that total depravity or our whole nature being fallen does not mean that we are as sinful as we could be. I know a lot of people who aren't Christians who do wonderful things, who do good things for their community, for their, for their families, whatever it may be. And what you don't realize is that even if they're doing those good things, they're doing it with a motivation That is less than, I'm doing this solely for the glory of God. Everything that I do, it's for the glory of God. And absent that, it's called sin. Maybe they love doing good things for people because they know that that makes them feel good. Or look good. It's not our job to interpret people's motivations. But what I'm saying is... Even if people do good things, that's what we call common grace. It's not what we call something that is without sin. Our whole nature is affected. The mind of the flesh, the sinful man, the mind of sinful man cannot obey God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. We are fallen. And so it says in Article 14, whereby he made himself liable to corporal and spiritual death, and being thus become wicked, perverse, and corrupt in all his ways, he lost all his excellent gifts, which, we, which he had received from God, and retained only small amounts. So here we are told 
that having fallen, we have not lost the image of God. We lost the gifts. We become wicked, perverse, corrupt. But we've retained small amounts, small remains thereof. Which, however, are sufficient to leave man without excuse. And so when we read in verses like Romans chapter 1, that people are without excuse because God has revealed himself in his creation. They know that God exists. This is what Calvin calls the... uh, sense of the divine. Every human being has a sensus divinitatis, a sense of the divine, a sense of God. They know that God is there. They know that God is the one who created all this. They feel that, but it's not enough for salvation. It's enough to leave them without excuse. Right? For all the light which is in us is changed into darkness. As the scriptures teach us, saying, The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness apprehended it not. And there is John chapter 1, verse 5, where St. John calls men darkness. So we were light. We've fallen from grace. Our sinful hearts and minds are darkened. But we still are made in the image of God. We simply have had that image distorted, not destroyed. We've got one final point tonight. And that's about the question that is always brought up then when we talk about the creation of man and his fall from not free mill. Free will. Free willing. If there's one thing that all zombie enthusiasts can agree on, it's that zombies don't have free will. All they think about is their next meal. They are mindless creatures that are wandering around waiting to find other humans to do what zombies do to other humans, okay? I won't get into too many details since there's children here. But if there's one belief that has been gone around and around and around in our day and age, that seems to almost be assumed now. It's that human beings have free will. And in one sense, I could say, well, yeah, but let's define what you're talking about because most people are talking about free will in the sense of a blank slate, a tabula rasa, a... Uh, I can do whatever I want in every circumstance, in every situation. Um, I, am, I am the captain of my own destiny. Captain, my captain. I am the one who is determining what I do with my life and my direction and my destiny. 
Is that what the Bible bears out, though? That's the important question we have to ask ourselves. And this is what Article 14 ends with. A number of smashing Bible references that says, now that we've come to this understanding that, yes, we were created upright and holy and righteous, made in the image of God, but then we fell from grace. Our first parents turned to sin. They willfully, um, they willfully subjected themselves to sin and to the lies of Satan. And now we have fallen and our, and our nature has become twisted in on itself. And the image of God is still in us, but it's distorted. It's not destroyed, but it's distorted. And, and now we're in this place where we cannot obey God. We, want to, we can't obey God. Our, our, our fallen natures cannot obey God, nor will it do so. It cannot submit to the law of God. Um, so where does this leave the question of free will? Well, Article 14 says, Therefore we reject all that is taught, repugnant to this, concerning the free will of man. And this is what it says. The Bible says that we are slaves to sin. I think there's something that we can agree on. And that is when the Bible says we're slaves, I think that's the opposite of free. Okay? In John, 3 chapter, or John, John chapter 3, verse 27, we read, can receive nothing except it have been given him from heaven. And we also are told, for, for who may presume to boast that he of himself can do any good, since Christ says, no one can come. If we have free will, then that means that we can come whenever we want. But Jesus says something differently. He says, no one can come to me, except the Father that sent me, draw him. We're saying, the Bible says, who glories in their own will, who understands that the mind of the flesh is enmity against God. Romans 8 7 is the verse we've looked at. Who can speak of his knowledge? Do you have will that you can boast in? That it's by your will that you were saved? Do you have knowledge? Are you just lucky enough to be smart enough to understand the gospel or to grasp it and reach on to it and to believe in it? Since the natural man can receive it not the things of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. In short, who dares suggest any thought? Since he knows that we are not sufficient of ourselves to account anything as of ourselves, but that our sufficiency is of God. 2 Corinthians 3 5 tells us that we uh, receive all things from God. We receive all things from God. And therefore what the apostle says ought justly to be held sure and form and firm that God worketh in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For there's no understanding nor will conformable to the divine understanding and will but what Christ has wrought in man which he teaches us when he says apart from me you can do nothing. When it comes to the area of salvation, we do not have free will like it's understood today. We make choices. We're really making a choice when I say, do I want a Coke or do I want a Pepsi? No, nah, I want Dr. Pepper. That's what I would go with, right? Um, do I want to wear these clothes today or these clothes today? 
I'm not saying that you don't have volition in these kinds of choices that you're making. But what you need to understand about salvation is because we have fallen into sin, because our nature has been corrupted by the fall from grace, if you have come to see God as glorious and Christ as your Savior and your Lord, it is only because of an act of an almighty God. And it's not of your own doing. People who are zombies don't come back to being humans except by a miracle. You were dead. Now you're alive. We have fallen from grace, but in Christ God restores us. What does that look like? Well, it's what we read right there in our passage from Romans chapter 8. Yeah, we hear all about what it's like to be controlled by the sinful nature, right? But Paul continues, You, however, you believers in Rome, or you believers here today in the church listening to me right now, you are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this spirit who lives in you. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. We had fallen from grace, but in Christ, God restores us. He cures us from our zombieism. And he brings us in to the kingdom of God. He brings us back to life. And it's a miracle. It's something that should cause you to be that much more thankful. That much more in awe of your salvation. Because your salvation, your coming to faith in Jesus Christ, your holding on to that faith and cherishing that faith is the same kind of supernatural intervention and power that's at work when Christ, when God speaks into existence the world and puts the stars on display. It's the same kind of power at work in your salvation that was at work in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the power that's at work in bringing you to salvation, Christ Jesus. And because... You had no part, so to speak, in a sense, that you would not have come to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior if it had not been for the work of God. Then you have nothing to boast in. It is only of grace. There's no reason why God saved you 
than simply that he chose to. You are, you are a walking, talking trophy of his grace. We have fallen from grace, but in Christ, God restores us. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you have restored us. You've brought us to salvation in your Lord Jesus, in, in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we do call him Lord. We do call him Savior. We love you, Lord. And we pray that even though uh, we still struggle against the, the flesh, that you would continue to work in us by your Holy Spirit to bring us to life. That even as our body is dead because of sin, our spirits may be alive because of righteousness, because of the righteousness of Christ. We ask all this and pray that you'd answer that for the sake of your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.